Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 64 of the Command of Voice. Today, I continue my conversation with Bonnie and Andy Swanson from Cat's Paws Bees. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. I'm not going to do too big of an intro, but I wanted to let you know this is part two of my interview with Andy and Bonnie Swanson from Cat's Paws Bees. So if you haven't heard part one, make sure to go back to last week's episode and listen to that before you jump into this one. All right, here it is. Yeah. So Sorry. then how then um, with with the the mites and stuff, how have you guys handled dealing with those? Because that's now just a continuous problem, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way we've dealt with it is, and it's a little bit controversial, but uh, we um, we do not use anything for, uh, so we don't use any miticide chemicals. We don't use any antibiotics, right? And so I do a queen breeding program uh, with a couple of other people, and we do the James Bond live and let die, okay? So what lives, lives, and we breed. What dies, dies, and we let it die, okay? okay. In that process, it's quite a painful process. When I first started, I could lose 90% of my hives, 95% of my hives. Um, Now it's about 50-50 as far as what I lose and what I keep. Um, There'll be a day when we'll be able to keep more like 70 or maybe even 80%. It used to be for beekeepers Mm -hmm. that they would have a a 10% death. Uh, but the 90% would do well and it wouldn't matter and they would make their splits and do whatever else and move forward, okay. right? But, uh, but now when you're looking at all of those things, now the, the commercial beekeepers who use everything they can under the sun are losing north of 40%. So we are just about ready to, to meet eye to eye as far as using everything or using nothing and the death rate is the same. Wow. And what will happen here pretty soon is everybody using the, the chemicals that they want to use and the antibiotics that they want to use, they're going to actually have a higher death rate than the, the natural beekeepers of what we are doing. We're just about ready to flip-flop those numbers, okay. right? Um, yeah, I want to eat my honey. I want to be able to have the things that I pre- create mm-hmm. and enjoy. And a lot of the things that they use inside of that hive, I would never want to use and right. try to eat anything out of there. Now, when it comes to commercial beekeepers, because they don't care about their honey and they don't care about producing a it's crop, and they're, yeah, and they're just doing the production and they're just doing uh, for pollination, I believe there is going to be a separation in some, sometime in the world there where they will allow beekeepers, if they aren't making honey and they're mm-hmm. only doing mm-hmm. pollination crops, mm-hmm they are going to have a different certificate and they're going to be able to use chemicals that they don't care about, right? And in the industry, when you're looking at agriculture, they don't use the same cattle for beef as they use for milk. milk. Right. They don't use the same chicken to right. make an egg mm-hmm. like they're going to make for yep. a frying pan, yeah. right? So it's not uncommon inside of the mm-hmm. agricultural world where you're going to make a distinction between this is this and that is that, right? right? right. And so that needs to happen anyway, um, because they're using uh, things that I think are not okay inside right. of the hive, and it gets spread around all over the place. The U.S. government is trying to get all antibiotics out of our food chain, okay? 
And that's a real problem for beekeepers because there's several different ones that they use. Because uh, a year ago, they were required to get a prescription, and the vets were like, through a vet, because they realized that there's antibiotics in the hive. And so the vets oh, are okay. like, what do you mean antibiotics for bees? And so there's yeah. been this whole learning curve, and right. I think it's going to force, like you said, some yeah, changes. Yeah, it's going to force some changes. Yeah. And one of the problems is usually when you use an antibiotic, it's because you're going to cure something. Inside of it for hives, uh, when you're doing it for um, uh, nosema, for example, you're not you're not curing foul anything. Brood. You're just holding it down. And when you're dealing with foul brood, you're just holding it at bay. You're not curing it, right? Okay. And so that's kind of uh, counterintuitive when it comes to using antibiotics, which means they constantly have to use antibiotics right. constantly mm -hmm. all the time. And also when it comes to miticide chemicals, they have created a much stronger mite. If you use a chemical... And like say cockroaches, you know, they've used lots of different things to kill cockroaches. Have they killed the cockroaches? Yeah, they've killed a lot of them. Have they gotten to the point where they killed all of them and it's been done? No, they haven't. They've just made a very strong cockroach, mm -hmm. all right? The same with mites inside of a hive. They've ma managed to kill 90 or 95% of them. They use something until all of a sudden, effectively, it doesn't kill them anymore and they move on to the next ugly chemical. But bottom line of all of it is, is that they have done that to the to the mite to a point where that mite that when we started in the 1990s is completely different than the mite that we're dealing with now right and they've and they've tried oxalic acid you know which is quote natural they've tried hops you know yeah um a number of things back when we, we first started and we're doing some of these things we went to hops it was like whoa we went to and uh randy oliver one of our favorite scientific beekeeping he's a really good resource I mean, he does a lot of different studies, and he's kind of like, yeah. I mean, and they have yeah. vapor guns and everything now. And yes, it might be better, but I think they're producing stronger Yeah, and, mites and how that, well, the, uh, when yeah. you're looking at an acid, what'll happen is the mites will have their little pads that they climb around on. The, the acid gets into the pad, and it kills the mite. And all that's happened is now the mites that have really tough pads that, that don't absorb mm -hmm. the acid. They're the ones that are living, and they're the ones that are breeding, and it won't be any time at all, and any of those acids aren't going to work either, right? So the bottom line of all of it is, is that I've taken the, the reverse psychology of all of it, which is uh, we'll, we'll create that with a bee. Whatever that bee can put up with, if it can live, great, and we'll breed off of it. If it dies, I don't want it in the hive, and I, I want to move on to the next one that will live yeah. without any problems, right? The bees have been on this planet for at least 120 million years, maybe even to, there, there's some new research now that they're thinking they might even be here as long as 165 million years. It's not like they haven't run into a few problems. You know, all of these problems that we're talking about, these are all modern day problems. These are less, right. th th you know, mm -hmm. some of them are 30 years or 50 mm -hmm. years in the making, right? right? That's in the span time of bees, that's nothing, right? Yeah. You got to get back to basics. And the basics is if you just allow that bee to be in a clean environment, you, you can have success. And that bee will learn how to live with that mite and learn how to live with everything else. They, yes, you will lose some bees, but you will produce the bees and they will move forward, right? Yeah. That's what we need to do. Now, if we can just, it's very hard inside of the farming community. If you want to tell a farmer, I don't want you to use these pesticides. I don't want you to use these chemicals. I want to use a bunch of chemicals inside of my hive, but I don't want you to use anything out there in your place. It makes it extremely difficult to do that, right? Yeah. So the first thing you do is clean up your own house. Second thing is you have somebody else clean up their house. Mm -hmm. So that's the issue when it comes to bees when we're yeah. trying to make those things happen. Well, yeah, yeah and that, that kind of, you know, 
brings up some of the stuff from like working in, uh, you know, with coffee growers, stuff like that. When you go into a third world country and you start trying to explain this, like, don't use the chemicals that they've given you. Don't do these. Mm-hmm. Like, right. But it kills the bugs. That That's right. Like, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not good for you. And they're yeah. like, yeah. But, but- it's not going. It's not yeah. staying here. Yeah. yeah, and it's very yeah, you know when you're looking is. at a beehive when when you're looking at like varroa mite, it's extremely difficult to harm one insect and make another insect thrive. When you think about that for a minute, yeah. when you're trying to dump something inside of the hive to do that, that is it's crazy. It really is. It's it's just crazy when it comes to that. Yeah, those. All things run much better in the world if you don't dump chemicals and you don't dump <laughs> antibiotics on things. It's just amazing. It's a real simple concept, but you know, it's amazing how many people don't get that concept and they don't realize, you know, that they are doing something to harm things. Yeah. You know? And well, it, is it worth is it worth all the things that you're doing when in the net end of things you're just making that bee reliant on something that you're dumping in. When you're done dumping all that stuff in, how's that bee going to live? Mm-hmm. And that's the issue right there. Well, so. and it's interesting, too, that the, the Asia honeybee, right? Is that the other yes. one? Yes, yes. There's seven doesn't... different bees, by the way, okay. on different yeah. continents, right? Yeah. And There's it doesn't African have any issues with the mite, right? That's well, actually, they, yeah. they, they actually, that's where the uh, varroa mite came from. Right, and that's right. what I'm saying. Like they yeah. started what? there. Yes, they they are built a little differently, um, okay. and so and they tend to abscond. You know, they they have learned to deal with the mite. Yeah, right. Yeah. When you evolve with something, yeah, you don't have an issue with it, right? Uh, people that live in Egypt can drink their water, and it's not a problem. You go right. over to Egypt yeah. and drink that water, you're going <laughs> to yeah. be in trouble. The same with Mexico. The Mexicans right. can drink their water, not yeah. a problem. They've grown up with it, they, right. right? But you go down there and drink that water, and yeah. Montezuma re- revenge, right? right? So that's the issue when it comes to that. So those mites, that's how that, when that turns up, right? The story is, and there's, there's a couple of different people that have said stories, but I will tell you the story inside of the beekeeping that I heard on how that mite showed up. Mm-hmm. They uh, had shipped 10 or 12 European hives to China to, ch- to show the Chinese how they kept European bees and they would produce all this honey with European bees. They brought them over to China, showed them everything. It was a one-year project. When they were done, they should have lifted those hives there. Some idiot packed them up and shipped them back and shipped them into Florida, okay? And from there, that's where the varroa mite showed up. Now, that is not, when you look this stuff up, that's not the story you're gonna find. But inside of the bee world, back in the day when we were in it, okay, and her and I talked to a lot of beekeepers, yeah. that was the story kicking around, yeah. okay? The Asian and, bees, they, um, uh, swarm a lot a lot and that breaks the brood cycle of the mite enough um but they don't produce as much honey yeah but they're also not bothered by that mite they're you know it's a symbiotic relationship usually when anytime you never want to have something that is a parasite that lives off of something else it's not in the best interest to kill your host Mm -hmm. right I mean, if you're killing your host, where are you going to live afterwards, right. Right? right? So the varroa mite with the Asian bees, it's not a problem. It really isn't, right? Yeah. And they were, the, originally, originally, they chased down some Russian bees that were living next to the Chinese border because they were exposed to that mite, and they brought those over to try to breed those and be able to make that happen. The problem with the Russian bee is, is that they don't want to brood up 
easy. You can't throw uh, sugar water at them, so they won't brood up quick. So January, you're not going to be able go, to get I'm your. I'm sorry, we're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, we're not. We're, so you can't use them <laughs> can't for almonds. <laughs> so no, the beekeepers don't want them because yep. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, all these different. Yeah, it's always gets down to the point of if I can't make money with it, I don't want it, mm -hmm. right? And so that's the issue when it comes to most farming. You know, yeah. you can produce things. So the bees that I'm creating, for me to uh, create a bee that will live without all of the antibiotics and without miticide chemicals and everything, there'll be a little bit of interest with that. For, uh, uh, you know, if you're a backyard beekeeper, you're going to want that. Mm -hmm. But for the commercial guys, yeah. you're going to have to give them that bee and it'll have to do one of two things. It'll either have to be eight frame or better in the middle of winter and I never <laughs> fed it, which, would you know, bonanza, you right. know, you can make a fortune off of that. Or I can sugar feed them and get them to the eight frame or better because I'm going to go after that almond money, right? right? If you're not going to produce that, no one really wants to hear it, right. which that's not the goal that I'm trying to do. Right. I'm trying to produce a bee that will just live in your backyard yeah. and, and be there. A good bee, in my opinion, the definition of a good bee is one that's in the box. Every time you open up the <laughs> box, you find a bee, right? It's no fun when you go out there and find your bees dead. I can just tell you that right now. <laughs> you know, it's no fun, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the other thing that uh, this brings up, too, is um, it's how nature works as, as the world, right? So we've done a lot of amazing things as humans, and we've connected the world through airplanes and travel and yes. these things. But there's these natural barriers called the oceans that separated things. Yes. And even things like Hawaii. So, like, the, mm -hmm. the creatures and things that were native to Hawaii were native to Hawaii and they had their own ecosystem and like nothing could, um, nothing had an issue with it because it had its own natural predator and all those things. But like the deer issues that they've had and yeah. stuff like that where we broke the, we broke the nature chain because the thing that separated the things that could live on Hawaii and live somewhere else is the ocean of water. Right. If a creature could somehow survive and get all the way over yeah. then they, they would have done it. Yeah. They could do it. And they yeah. would, Adapt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But if they can't, when we break that chain, we start. I mean, it's great. I love world travel, and I love that we have that ability. But that's the thing we have to balance. Unfortunately, yes, we've been, managed to take rats and cockroaches and <laughs> everything else you can imagine. We bring plants that don't belong, insects that don't belong, you know, all sorts of things that don't belong, and we move them around from place we to place. We were at, to a, place, at okay? a bee club so. in, in on Whidbey several years back, and. Um, a woman there, and she was so very, um, I'm not going to say radical because it meant a lot to her, but it, you know, it's like native plants. She kept talking, well, I don't want to plant that. That's not a native plant. Finally, Andy goes, you do know why they're called European honeybees, right? And the look on her face, she never came back. She realized, oh, no. I said, you need to be keeping mason bees because the European bee is a non-native, yeah. yeah. you know? Yeah, she was very upset with the fact that we were talking about that you would have to sugar feed things. And there are t I try not to sugar feed my yeah, bees. We don't. And the only time that I'll do that is if they're really extremely mm -hmm. low on food or mm -hmm. something like that. But in the last couple of years, I haven't even, I, I keep a lot of honey mm -hmm. on my bees. But she was so upset with everybody talking about putting sugar to their bees or whatever else. And it's like, well, you know, they're not going to get what they need. They're not in Europe yeah. where they would normally be able to do mm -hmm. the ebb and flow. Yeah. You know, if they were in Germany or fan, France or, you know, Italy, you know, <laughs> well, there's, wrong. yeah, they would do, they would have no problems, right? They're in the Swiss Alps. So don't worry about it. Yeah, there's, yeah, right. Anyway, but yeah, they're here in Washington and it's like, oh boy. And, you know, we make a living off of noxious weeds. Most people don't oh, realize that, but right. every Everything, more or less, everything that I need for my bees to survive, i.e., whether it's um, 
the berries that are on, you know, or dandelions, the dandelions or the, you know, anything that's in, not, in, weed. not weed, you name mm. it. I mean, everything that, they, you know, all these people, they say, oh, my goodness, I don't want it or spray it out. or I yeah. don't need it. Or my bees need what, that. Yeah. And if you were to take all that out of the environment, I wouldn't be able to keep my bees here. Right. So there's, yeah, so there's, you know, loose strife and all sorts of different things. They're all European weeds, you know, star thistle, you know, all these different thistles and everything. The Canadian thistle, I mean, oh, you talk to farmers, oh, my goodness, blah, 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 you know, uh, got to get rid of all that. Got to spray that all out, you know, and you got the right. counties over there screaming at everybody. Right. And yet that makes great honey and it's good yeah. for the, you know, it's good for all the rest of the environment. Right. So it gets weird sometimes when you're looking at people and talking to them and deciding what is good and what is bad. Right. Right. Because it's already here. I mean, thank goodness somebody decided to put pen and paper to the fact that if I sprayed out all the blackberries out of the Northwest, there wouldn't be anything left to be able to have here in the Northwest, right? So they quit spraying those berries. They used to, right? Yeah. Yeah. And well, they still do in certain areas. Yes. In certain yes. areas. But you get my drift where you yeah. can, there's just no way to get them. Once they're entrenched, that's it. They're right. here and the birds eat it. Everything else eats it. The bees make yep. honey off of it. You know, blah, blah, blah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma when it comes to that. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, so another question I want to bring up with you guys. Um, I've I've heard and I don't know I don't have any sort of like reference or anything to this, but when it comes to like the digital signals, radio signals, like our airways are so busy now, the with mm -hmm. with mobile, with LTE, with everything that's going on. Does that in any way affect bees in um, because my, I think my wife was reading an article that was saying like how that was affecting their ability to even sometimes find food and things like that. Yeah. Have you guys heard anything on that or experienced anything with that? Okay, so we that's been rumored for a long time. Okay. okay? Um, I will pose the different question to you, and that is, if you could prove that that was true and it was wiping out the environment. Would everybody be able to give up their new technology that they wanted anyway? Right. If 5G was going to wipe the planet out, would that stop us from doing it? Right. Well, it's That's, the same question with AI. <laughs> right. Ex exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. And so with that, I'm not sure that mankind can do it. There's lots of things, when you're looking at humanity, there's lots of things that when you can, when science will be able to prove a lot of things that everybody else won't accept... But will they accept the fact that they have to change? One of the problems for the bees, which is that mankind has studied bees since the beginning of our existence. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know that or not, but every and civilization... And they have successfully completely mapped the genome of the bee. Yes, but every, every, yeah. every successful um, person on the planet has kept bees. They've exploited bees, they've kept bees, they've studied bees... They, they know more about the honeybee than anything else on the planet, okay? Because we've, we've had such a long experience with all of it, right. all right? So now when it comes to dealing with the bees, they don't have, usually when they bump into something in the real world and they want to say, ooh, that doesn't look right. Well, we better do a study. Let's do the study and find out what they once was and then we'll find out what's going on and we'll find out all these other different things, right? When it comes to the honeybees, you don't need to do those studies. We already know what they should be doing. Yeah. When they start doing something that they shouldn't be doing, we already know that we're in trouble. And when it comes okay, to... Okay, so they're the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, when it, when it comes, comes to, to that, wireless right? signals, I've seen studies in both that support both sides. Okay, yeah. So I have seen both. Um, I, coming from Verizon and stuff um, and technology, I am not 
pro 5G, but I don't think it's going to get stopped. Right. Um, and it's just because of the, the height yeah. of the signal. I mean, at least right now it's way up there, right? And now it's just going to be basically right above your head. Right. And it's going to be, you know, every other pole. I mean, it's the only way it's going to work. Right. Um, so I... Uh, and we have learned with some bees. We had there was a place on the east side. I remember went saw that gal, and there was those. It's over by uh, Arlington, out towards I think Monroe. And there's these big power lines, and you could just hear it right yep. when you're standing yep. there, and you're so like buzz. Yeah. Um, yeah, she wanted me to keep bees there, and I didn't want to do it because I was riding underneath the power poles. Yeah, and I was so. I was so you ask us so. what we think and yeah. what we know. Well, right. we know what we didn't do. We didn't do right. that just because yeah. we didn't feel comfortable. There was a place on Camino, and it was just we struggled. We were helping a young beekeeper, and her bees just would not live, would not live, and it turns out they were, you know, kind of a nice triangle from the dump, and. Um, the golf, the golf, the golf course. Yeah. And we really, and they had brood problems, just multiple brood problems. Yeah, and we think issues, between yeah. getting in their nose into something in the dump, they shouldn't. And what they'd use to keep, you know, <clears throat> the golf course green and free of weeds. Yeah. Just golf courses are one of the most chemically filthy place you could ever imagine. They use more per square foot on a golf course than almost anywhere else. Right, okay. and it's because the golfers they don't want them to get bit by anything. Right. They don't want to be bothered by anything, so they're going to keep all the mosquitoes and all the bees and all the flies and all of this and all of that. And they and they're trying to keep everything green and perfect, and they're dumping a lot of chemicals on there that. to be yeah. able to do yeah. that. So yeah, you can't. It's virtually impossible to keep a beehive. Is on, it yeah. is it Marla, Marla Spivak out of uh, Minnesota? Yeah, did um, did a bunch of studies on that, and then actually went out to a couple golf courses in their area and have actually converted them to, or figure out ways to convert them to organic. Okay, right, because so that they could actually have bees on the golf course. Yeah, and yeah, yeah and and have a, a live zone instead of yeah. a death zone. Right. So yeah. she's kind of so. patented a program that they're trying to yeah. to get out there. But it was so. yeah a well known issue when yeah. it comes to that. So, okay. Yeah. yeah so when we were starting the conversation, uh, I think before we hit record, you were saying how you do certain parts of the, the beekeeping and then you do mm -hmm. the other, Bonnie does mm -hmm. the other part. Yeah. Um, first, how is that split? And then second off, um, Bonnie, you said you won't really go near the bees either. <laughs> yeah, so. no, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, if, if it involves a bee sting, Bonnie doesn't want to be there. I could kind well, of tell you I, that right I, now. So, so yeah. my transition from telecommunications to where I'm at now in the financial services world, I went through a period of time. Um, I was on the steering committee for the Port Susan uh, Farmer's Market. And um, because I was basically unemployed, I had a lot of time. So I was able to put a lot of effort into that initially. And, uh, and I would go help him. And it was so enjoyable. And I thought to myself, well, why don't I just, why don't we just make a business out of this? And so he is a mad scientist. And every time he sees a hive and he doesn't think something's quite right, it doesn't matter what's going on. So I just had, I didn't have, well, we, neither one of us really wore a bee suit. We had a bee bonnet, but I only had a loose shirt. I mean, it was a long sleeve shirt. It was loose. We were collecting honey at a location where there was a known hive that was kind of nasty. In fact, we ended up having to move off that property because they got so aggressive. And we, yeah, and so he, anyway, so we're collecting the honey and we're going to walk quite a ways. And at the time we hadn't switched to our smaller boxes. So they're full of honey. They're heavier than, you know, and so you got your <laughs> arms full and he sees this hive and he goes, oh, and I said, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare open that hive. Well, I said, so he says, no, I'm just going to, and he, 
He touched it. It kind of kicked it over. I got stung multiple times. It crawled up my arm all the way down. All right, there was only three bee stings. Oh, no, no, no. Just three bee stings. But that 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 killed the uh, business <laughs> I said, opportunity no, I'm gonna go of get me doing. I don't think I can do the, this. The good news is is that I wasn't ready to really become uh, do business the way we were talking about doing it anyway. I hadn't been a beekeeper long enough, and That's one of true. the hardest things about be- doing beekeeping is that every year you learn new things. And I've learned new things now for uh, 15, 16, 17 years since I've been doing bees. Uh, I've learned a lot of stuff just in the last couple of years things that I wouldn't ever think that would would happen with bees and stuff. And that's the hardest thing when you're dealing with bees, which is things change. And so it's either one of a couple of different things. One, you learned it wrong in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Or secondly, things have changed to where... You know, it used to be that, but now it isn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because that's you so. Know. Our our first <clears throat> so. model was farmers markets, and we really wanted to be hyper local because our bees were hyper local, our honey's right. hyper local, right? So, um, Friday Still was hyper local. Yeah. Don't worry about well, it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, oh, that's where we wanted to focus. <laughs> was these were the market where the honey's made? So, um, Kameno was Monday at the time, and. Stanwood was Friday. Yep. Well, by the time all this, you know, we started the Poor Susan Farmer, you know, we did a bunch of stuff and I was doing it and then I got a job full time. And so then we were, by then, a lot of demand. So we were in the Arlington market on Saturdays, Friday in Stanwood, uh, Monday on Kameno, Thursday, it was four days a week. Okay. And most of them weren't weekends. Yeah. Right. And so this one was having to do it all by himself, which was fine. He's a better salesman than I am, but he wasn't doing his beekeeping. Right. So we had to change our model of doing business. And that's when we switched over to wholesale. Okay. Um, Because it just that's my brain going. You know, I looked at him and I said, you know, honey, this is great, but. I can't spend all my bonuses on bees every year. You know, there's things in uh, life we want to do. Yeah, really. <laughs> so we need to, we need to find a business model that works and wholesale has worked for us. Yeah. And but also what's worked for us is that when I quit buying bees down in California, cause that yeah. was very expensive and it was a uh, expensive trip to go down there and do all that. Mm-hmm. When I started making my own bees and, and doing my own queen breeding and everything else, it changed the model of mm-hmm. how I was going to do things. Mm-hmm. It changed our business model, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it changed it for the better. But anytime you change things, you you know you have to readjust everything that you do, right. right? You know you cannot do business the way you used to do it when you used to do this and now you do that, right? right. So it was it was um, it was an interesting thing. We had to we had to change how we were looking at things and how we were dealing with things change the actual goals of what we actually wanted to to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can tell you that when I was doing farmers markets, um, I didn't have the goal of producing uh, a, uh, a bee Northwest that bee. Uh, was going yeah. to live through everything without without mm-hmm. chemicals mm-hmm. and without, you know, even though I wasn't using anything, it wasn't my goal to create that bee. I wanted right. to buy that bee from somebody else so I could <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah. And that's been one of the hardest things is actually when you have to create the things that you have to make, yeah. it becomes a completely different thing. You run a, a bakery and honestly, you get sacks of everything that you need to make that bakery happen. But if you had to produce that sack right. that came totally in, totally different, completely <laughs> different thing, right? I mean, completely different, right? And that's what ended up happening to me, which is, oh my goodness, I had to start relooking 
at all sorts of different things. So, that I mean, made me a much better beekeeper. I, I really you know, respect but, the vendors know. at the markets because, yeah, you think, oh, the market's only open three hours or four hours or whatever, <laughs> but it's a whole day thing. You know, oh, it's yeah. a whole preparation. Yeah. And that's oh, yeah. my job is preparing the jars and extracting and getting it the honey in the and we were very so good thing she got stung because then we <laughs> didn't go down a different bunny trail yeah we really. were very fortunate we did not even know that judy was the former president of the bee club and um we saw an ad we were we were small at the time we started with three hives we did it we did the same mistake everybody makes you extract it in your garage with the door open and the neighbors call 911 because where are all these bees coming from and you know you make all these but we'd gotten big enough I mean you know we had to have something and she happened to have you know um, an extractor a, a radial yep. you know extractor and everything for sale literally wow. Two miles down the road from nice. us on Camino. Yeah. yeah. yeah that so, was that was fortuitous. Yeah, that was but very you know, fortuitous. our business started way back in the day when we when I decided to start keeping bees. Um, I had um, three or four hives. I had produced about two hundred pounds of honey, which two hundred pounds of honey isn't a lot of honey, mm -hmm. but it was way too much to consume for ourselves. Yeah. We had moved from uh, Fresno Clovis area, so we had new friends that we had up here, we had new we had old friends that were down in Fresno. Uh, we went ahead and bottled everything up and we gave away as Christmas presents mm -hmm. the honey that we mm -hmm. had made, yeah. right? And that was great. And then about uh, it by uh, the uh, end of January, I started getting letters and phone calls and other things. Oh, that honey was just wonderful. You know, do you have any more? I want to buy some. And, you know, the unfortunate part was, well, now I gave it all away. And they <laughs> said, what are you doing that for? And from that moment on, we have never been able to produce enough honey. We've never been, no matter how many highs I've had, no matter how much I've done, no matter how much work I've done, I've never been able to produce enough honey. Uh, I've turned away business constantly all the time. Mm -hmm. we, we, don't, we don't take on everybody that wants to sell our honey, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we've been pretty careful about doing all of that stuff. And, um, and it was an interesting business model as far as going down you know, a strange trail. And I will tell you that our honey is so good up here that, that I knew beekeepers that were down in, in Fresno and I had given some of my honey to them, and I hand paint jars. I have jars that I, I hand decorate. Uh, I'm known he for that. He does that part. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I paint the jars. Everybody thinks Bonnie paints the jars, no, but I no. actually paint the jars. <laughs> but I had given away some hand painted jars to my friends. Well, they didn't think anything of it because honey is honey and jars are jars, but they liked the painting of the jar. Well, they went ahead and opened up the jar and they tasted the honey. And I had phone calls from uh, uh, some of my, my, my friends, you know, and they. They call me up and they said, Andy, he goes, got any more of that honey? And I go, eh, yeah. And he goes, all right, I want two barrels. Now, a barrel is a 55-gallon drum, <laughs> right? And that's about 660 pounds of honey, right? So the guy was asking for two barrels of honey, which in the honey world is nothing, okay? And, and yet on that particular year, I only had 1,300 pounds of honey mm -hmm. for the entire crop that I had, right? And I said, that's my entire crop. And he goes, well, what do you mean it's in your entire crop? And he said, well, I'm just some little, you know, I'm just a little guy. I'm not, you know, I'm not a beekeeper like you. And he goes, okay, well, one barrel. You know, he goes, and I go, and I don't. Because I, honey's I don't very it, regional. Right? I mean, orange blossom, right. you can't get here, but it's delicious. You know, fireweed's another one well, you got to chase. Yeah, right? So yeah. anyway, yeah, he wanted, he, wanted to, he wanted to get a hold of the honey take it to San Francisco, sell it for a fortune, right? And make money off of me, right? And he goes, well, hurry up and start making more of it, right? I mean, I just had so many people that wanted our honey. And the good news is that the honey that we make up here is fantastic. The bad news is we don't make very much money. 
and we don't make very the, much honey when it comes to yeah, up in the here, northwest, right? When it comes yeah. to that in the northwest, yeah. right? And there's only much there's only so much you can charge for honey. All right, our honey right. is very expensive, mm -hmm. and yet you know there's there's limits to what you can charge. There's limits to mm -hmm. what you can do, right? right? But there's also limits to how much honey you can actually make up mm -hmm. here. There's you know nobody's here to make honey up here because you don't make that. When we much went to Hawaii, there. there's only two weeks out of the year they don't harvest. Wow. Yeah. So reverse. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we went to one honey guy that um, he made, uh, he was making uh, 40,000 pounds of honey for his year. Do you know and, how many hives he had? Yeah. Take a guess at how many hives that he had to make 40,000 pounds. Hundreds and hundreds? Yeah, hundreds and hundreds. Well, normally, there would be thousands and thousands. Mm -hmm. Okay. But he had 100 hives that made wow. 40,000 pounds of honey. <laughs> Okay, he was constantly that extracting money away, uh, yeah, honey away from the from those bees. Yeah, and that's the, the complete difference when you're looking at it, as opposed to here, where I'm lucky if I can average, you know, if I average ten or twenty pounds per hive, I, I'm mm -hmm. I feel like Pretty I'm doing heavy. great. And there's times where I'll look at it and I say, oh, here's a hundred pounds, it's great out of one hive, and then I'll have three hives in a row that don't have anything. So the right. averages go down really quick, right? Yep. Yeah, so, uh, and there's only one time a year where you can actually pull honey, right? So it's yeah. tough when you're looking at those things. Yeah. Right. That, you know. Well, the other thing I think um, the with the localized honey and thing, and I, I don't know if this is necessarily new information, but I feel like we're starting to get a lot more of it is people that have allergies and stuff, the regional honeys help those allergies from that region. Yeah. So we have been getting, we get a lot of people. But you know, they, they mm -hmm. knew that in the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s. That's well, people 1900s. Okay. are connecting that, knew that it. the pollen grains yeah. that are in that honey are, the could be the pollen grains you're reacting to. So it's yeah, like right. antigen therapy. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. difference is way back in the day, before you had everything mechanized and everything moving around, all honey that you would find would, would be, be local. local honey and oh. you wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah. And it wasn't fussed with. They didn't have antibiotics inside of it. Yeah. Didn't have mitocide chemicals inside of it. It was all local. It didn't. You just some farmer down the street there, and you traded your stuff for that stuff, right? Yeah. And lots of people kept honeybees on their property to be able to, you know, to deal with things. Yeah. Now in the modern day world, you can't trust that the honey that you're buying, even though it's from a local person, that it actually is truly local honey. Now the definition of local honey, just so that we get it, you know, because there is no definition of local. My definition of local honey is is that I kept the bees on Camino Island, Stanwood, Arlington. It, the honey was made there off of the plants that were on there. Yep. It got extracted yeah. here. It got bottled here. In right? the state and of it Washington, got sold here. we're okay? obligated yeah. to put on where the honey is put in the bottle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if well, I wanted bottled. to buy uh, barrels of honey uh, coming out of, you know, lots of different places, it could be Utah, it could be Montana, it could be, you know, so it mm -hmm. could still be, it could even be Northwest. I could buy barrels of honey out of, you know, Oregon. And then I bottle it inside of my, you know, basement and mm -hmm. I'll call it local. Who's going to know the difference? The only one that'll know the difference for the most part, if you've ever tasted our local honey, you would know it. But also if you're trying to use it for allergies, yeah. it won't work right. when it's coming out of somewhere else. Right. And our honey does work for your allergies, yeah. and lots of people know that already. So they're willing to buy our product because it it works that way, yeah. and it fixes that right. Because then your your immune system reacts to it. Now, the closer you can get that honey made to where you live, right. mm -hmm. the better off you are. Yeah. Okay. As far as that goes for your allergies. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm personally allergic to work, so you know, then, <laughs> no matter how much honey I eat, it doesn't it doesn't seem to help. Well, but you know, anyway. Very cool. Well, 
Um, there's there's other things we didn't end up getting to. That's all um, right. But we can always do second second interviews later on. Um, but um, I like to end every interview with some rapid fire questions. I finally changed out one of them because one of them kind of overlapped. So, okay. anyways, you're getting my first like new rapid oh, fire question. So, new version. Um, anyways, it is. What is a, a purchase of $100 or less that you've bought in the last uh, six months that you've really enjoyed or gotten a lot of use out of? I can answer that. $100 or less. My oh, goodness. that's easy. What? A- Ananda's soap. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That was way less than 100 bucks, but nice. it's the only soap I use anymore. <laughs> I just bought some at the market nice. on Tuesday. Yeah, it seems like everything I buy is over $100. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that question. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would their first day look like here? Oh, well, we've had a lot of friends come from out of town. I think the first impression is, you know, most people, especially when they're coming out of Fresno, they're mm. not used to seeing the ocean. They're not used to seeing clean air and, and beautiful trees and an ocean. And, you know, I mean, so they, they're quite taken away. Or from a ferry. Just their... So commonly we would do a loop. Um, either breakfast or dinner on Camino when we're done, but leave Camino, go up, go drive Deception Pass, go around and take the ferry back around and up through Muckleteo and do the whole loop. Yeah. Oh, nice. In a day, right? Yeah. Because yeah. then you just, and you're going to eat breakfast somewhere you really enjoy and dinner somewhere you really enjoy and just wrap it up. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. have really oh, responded nice. to that because yeah. a lot yeah. of them haven't been on a ferry. Right. Either. Right. Yeah. So, and that's, that's very typical of what yeah. we would try to do to give the exposure. I, my favorite, favorite place up here, the quintessential place is Deception Pass. Yeah. If there was one place that I would take anybody to, mm-hmm. to say, Hey, this is the Northwest and this is how it feels. Yeah. Right. It's there. Yeah. I just love that. So place. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So very cool. Who is a fascinating or interesting person in this community that I should interview next? Ooh. Wow. Well, since but we know you all the haven't little, already. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know who you've... You can you know. really, if you throw out names, I'll tell you if I have or haven't. Uh, yeah, um, Zach and Haley. You know, yes. I think, yeah. yeah, they are, you know, yeah. and we keep bees there and stuff. With them well, and, stuff, and so. you've already probably done Rachel at Island Harvest. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of all the farmer people. I would farmer say people. Uh, Connie and Neil. I would say. Yeah, Connie I'm, Martinez and yeah. Neil Rimland. Yeah. And that Connie, woman knows yeah. how to make everything. Yeah, she does. And she grows, she has a fantastic garden and she has, she makes, uh, she creates duck eggs and all sorts of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So she's actually. That's uh, a good choice. Yeah. How about Tori? Tori. Tea for your uh, tea dragon. Tea for your dragon. Yeah. No. Yeah. Tori is another one. Yeah. Or Tracy at Picnic Pantry. I'm okay. thinking okay. of all these small business yeah. owners. No, that'd be great. So Tori. <laughs> Tori, uh, what's Tori's last name? Are you kidding? Oh, it's in my That's phone. Fine. But she's the, 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 the tea shop in yep. Stanwood? Yep, yes. Yep, yep, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. And then the owner of Picnic Pantry, I always forget Tracy. Tracy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Connie knows uh, Tori quite well, actually. They're, they're really good friends. So okay. Very cool. For that matter. Awesome. All right, and then lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard on Kamano Island, right as you're driving on the island, what would that say? Oh, like the one right here. <laughs> oh, maybe right on the island. Either way, this one is well known. Yeah, go home. Yeah, really. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. That was a common yeah, response. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, Ooh, see, and I'm saying slow down, you move too fast. But yeah. I have to commute every day on you and off the island. You know what's hard for us? You know, we came, when we first came here, 
Uh, we came from California, and of course we heard all the nonsense of, you know, you come from California, change out your plates really quick, don't let anybody know that you're from California. And start drinking coffee, we, yeah, get we, the tea. We <laughs> moved into, we actually lived, uh, for, the first place that we lived was in Thunder Ridge. We bought a house there. Oh, okay. And in Thunder Ridge, there's, what, 120 homes and yeah. stuff. The dirty truth was everybody there was from California. The question was, was it two weeks, two years, 20 years, but, you know, everybody had originally come from California for the most part. It's actually kind of hard to find <laughs> a native here, and especially a native that actually, you know, was yeah. born and grew up on Camino right. Island. That's a toughie. Yeah. If you want to find if you, you want to find a Mohican, yeah, that's really hard to find. Yep. I've got a couple of I've been able to track down and, and talk with. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they'll they, and they'll tell you the way it used to be, right. and how before they there was, uh, before yeah. there was all there them was California people like, here. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. We're transplants from Arizona, so we're a little farther <laughs> oh, south, but okay. yeah. we're escaping harsher. Yes, climate. Yeah, yeah. Yes. but yeah, like it's us. it's yeah. So it's it's been it's been tough as yeah. far as just looking at the fact that yeah, and we love it up here. We, it was the best move that we ever did was leave California. Yeah, you know, California has just become this horrible place. That nobody wants to be. It's high taxes. It's litigious. Yeah. It's just. I mean, everything you can imagine. I miss some people there, but I don't miss yeah. California at all. It's so. You know? Yeah. The smog was. Yeah. Really, really I mean. Bad. Yeah. Where we were. Yeah. And really right bad. now the fires are just oh. wiping everything out just outside of of Fresno. Yeah. That's where the main mm -hmm. fires are. You know, Toll House wow. and Shaver Lake and everything else. Yeah. yeah. And we know we have friends there and everything. Mm -hmm. We know all that area. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah it's just horrid. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. No, I mean, California, there's so much going on there. Yeah. So, yeah. So. yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. This okay. was fun. Yeah. It was less yeah. painful than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Andy and Bonnie Swanson for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, go to CaminoCommons.com slash EP64. That's CaminoCommons.com slash EP64. Thanks for listening and see you next time.